I think probably the most important thing to keep at the core of what we're doing is ensuring that we're building things that people want and that they're also willing to pay for. So, you know, touching on the stakeholder side of things, we've got loads of different internal and external stakeholders, clients, we've got candidates, investors, owners, employees, etc. And all these people come with different wants and needs, but we really need to make sure that what we're building with a limited development resource is actually going to achieve that profitable growth. So unless the features that we're delivering every two weeks deliver uh, you know, help us gain more customers or help us increase the value of those customers, then it's probably not the most important thing. Welcome back to Clearview's Founder Vision. I am your host, Brian Gupton, uh, and I am joined today by Hamish Livingston, who is the head of product with Willow, which you can find at willow.video, and they are a virtual video interviewing platform. Uh, Hamish, uh, welcome. Great to have you today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. So, you know, the, the, our, our podcast is called Founder Vision. A lot of times we're talking to founders in your situation, you're the head of product, um, but it's always really interesting to get non-founding team member perspective. So thanks for agreeing to, to chat with us today. Before we kind of dive into what Willow does and how you all have uh, been scaling uh, the business, could you give the audience maybe a, a quick walkthrough of your background and how you ended up joining the, the, the team? Yeah, yeah, of course. Makes sense. Um, so yeah, as as you said, my name is Hamish Livingston. Uh, I'm currently working as head of product at Willow. Uh, so my background, Brian, is predominantly in, in kind of software and technology. Um, at an early stage of my career, I was involved in an agency and that actually gave me kind of great amount of exposure to loads of different clients, different sectors. Um, and I suppose during that period, I really learned loads about how to deliver results online very quickly um, during that role. I then actually moved across um, to work client side, coincidentally, actually, for, for one of our biggest clients at that time, uh, where I was in charge of product development for both kind of internal and external facing systems. Um, following that role, I then co-founded a SaaS business um, with some funding behind it that provided e-commerce solutions to uh, automotive retailers and manufacturers. Um, I suppose coming on from the agency side um, transpired that selling cars online is a lot more complex than uh, than selling clothes and shoes, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, so anyway, that business was actually just recently acquired. Um, and in the past few months, I have joined the team at Willow uh, to build something really exciting. So yeah, that's that's probably a brief background. Yeah. How did you meet Willow? I mean, the people there, was it people you knew in your network? Yeah, correct. So Ewan, who's the, the chief executive and uh, one of the founding partners, he and I actually worked together dating back to when I was working at the agency. So he he was uh, one of my biggest clients. Um, we then ended up working together actually in co-founding the SaaS business. So he helped me with some of the kind of feasibility study 
um, some of the exploration that we did into the market and everything. Um, and so we've, we've just kind of worked together in different roles uh, over probably the past seven or so years. Now, is the company also based in uh, Glasgow, Scotland? or? Yeah, so we've got an office in Glasgow and we've also got an office in Manchester. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got over 5,000 customers and we've got interviews in 150 different countries. So it really is kind of international now. But yeah, our, our base of team is, is predominantly in Glasgow and Manchester in the UK. Okay. So interesting. I mean, you, you and I spoke about this uh, before we started the, the call. Uh, generally, in this kind of a interview, we we spend most of our time talking about building the the business and not as much time talking about the product that is being built. In your situation, it's a little different because you guys are a virtual video interviewing platform, and I kind of feel like that is uh, something that would be of interest to anyone building a business. You know, since obviously. Hiring is a critical part of, you know, building and scaling a, a business. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what Willa does, like what attracted you to join the team and, you know, why virtual video interviewing should be an important part of your growth scaling plans? Yeah, of course. So the concept came about in kind of 2016, 2017. Um, so this was coincidentally before the pandemic and everything. And I suppose the pandemic um, has in, in certain ways accelerated the growth of the business because there's been so much demand for, you know, remote interviewing and everything. Um, one of the questions we most commonly get asked, Brian, is um, I suppose for people that don't know about the business is what's the difference between yourselves and uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom or something. It's probably quite important to, to outline at the, at the outset that our product is is focused on asynchronous video interviewing. Um, so that allows you know the candidate to complete an interview at any point in time. So going back to the concept, um, you know, in, in about 2016, 17, um, I think Ewan was one of the founding partners at, at Willow was quite aware of the interviewing process actually being a bit broken. It wasn't flexible for the candidate. It wasn't flexible for the employer. Um, and so as a result, he actually started doing some video interviewing with candidates. And I think with video, it's, it's a really great way to actually get to know someone. Early stage screening can quite often be done by actually just looking at a CV or potentially a, a, a quick phone screening call. Um, but by actually doing a video interview, you get a much better opportunity to get to know the candidate. Um, and Willow really, I suppose, is looking to provide more inclusive opportunities. So by being able to do remote video interviewing, um, you, you can include so many other people um, from loads of different backgrounds. And, you know, that can cover demographics, that can cover different geographies, so people all over the world. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we've got interviews in 150 different countries, more than at the moment. Um, and it can also, you know, equal opportunities for people with different technologies and everything. Um, so, yeah, what, what we're really looking to do is provide the best interviewing experience for candidates out there. And what, what, what are some of the best practices around, you know, integrating something like this into your recruiting stack? 
Um, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, we deal with loads of different types of uh, types of clientele. So that could be from an in-house recruiter um, to a recruitment agency or even kind of larger staffing agencies that deal with seriously high volume. Um, so it's probably not a broad brush approach that could be used for that because they've all got different requirements and different needs. Um, I suppose from our perspective, it's really important, certainly from a product point of view to ensure that we can kind of allow our product to slot into loads of different um, different approaches. I think most commonly uh, our product is used for kind of early stage screening. Um, you know, you'll know it yourself when you're hiring uh, for a role, you can get loads and loads of CVs in. It's really easy to start to disregard certain candidates because you've not necessarily got the time to set up calls with all these people. But by adopting a video interviewing process, you can actually send an interview out to all of your candidates and you can review them you know, at ease, at your own convenience, really, at any time that suits. And I think that's a really important kind of aspect of it is to ensure that you can actually include as many of the candidates as possible because sometimes if you're just judging people by a cv then you'd you'd miss out a lot of really strong talent yeah so I've, obviously the the idea behind doing like video interviewing is not new it's been around for quite a while but I, I sort of feel like i've worked at several companies that have looked into it but for whatever reason did not adopt and i'm sort of wondering like and maybe if you could talk to this where like how advantageous is the asynchronous interviewing aspect of it? Because on the surface, I could, you know, just me thinking about this, you know, I would say, oh yeah, that's, you know, that is helpful for everyone. The one concern I guess it would bring up is, um, you know, I think if someone who is interested in coming to work for you, you know, you, you set up and schedule an interview, that person sort of knows, okay, I'm going to be speaking with this person for 30 to 60 minutes and then that's going to be done and then if i progress to the next step you know they'll let me know whereas with the kind of asynchronous interviewing i kind of wonder if it creates a little bit of anxiety amongst like applicants that you know they're going to spend expend a lot of time and effort up front doing these video interviews and you know in the back of their mind i might have like a little bit of concern is like is someone actually watching these? Am I, you know, going to, am I going to end up spending five hours doing this thing asynchronously when it could have been done in one hour, you know, if we just hopped on a, on a call. And of course there's, you know, there's context that's lost when, you know, it's me just recording an answer versus us just having a conversation. How, how does Willow address some of those concerns? Yeah. So I suppose you touched on a few things there, Brian. Um, one of the one of the first things I'd like to touch upon is the fact that um, you know Willow, without a doubt, removes a lot of anxiety for um, for the candidates um, when candidates are going to a face to face interview or a real time interview. Um, might not be something that you necessarily consider often because you know you're doing interviews day to day as part of your job, um, but a lot of people actually feel quite uncomfortable with. Uh, with that process. Um, by allowing a candidate to do an asynchronous interview, we allow them to do it in an environment that they're comfortable in. Uh, they have time to actually think and prepare. Um, you know, my role, I, I recruit for a lot of software developers. Now, software developers aren't necessarily um, always going to have to think fast on their feet. 
um, quite a lot, quite a kind of important part of their job is ensuring that they can take a problem, digest it, and come up with with a, a kind of viable solution. Um, and I think traditional interviewing processes can actually work against a lot of different people who have different methods of, of thinking or approaching tasks. So by giving them the time to do it in, you know, um, in their own time, in their own comfortable environment, you actually allow the candidate to put their best foot forward. So I think that's a really important aspect to touch upon. Um, so from an anxiety perspective, you know, we spend a lot of time speaking to our candidates and our clients and candidates definitely feel that it's, uh, you know, it's a much more comfortable experience. Okay. So with your role as uh, head of project at, at Willow, like what, what are you, how, how long have you been with the company and, and like, what are you primarily focused on right now? Yeah. So we're in February now uh, while we're recording this. I joined at the beginning of eight, uh, October last year. So uh, I'm less than six months into, into the role. Um, I suppose my primary focus, um, my role was best described uh, by kind of previous mentor of mine um, by, he said, I need to deliver high quality products, pace, uh, meeting business demands and delivering profitable growth. I thought that was quite interesting because you, you can break that phrase that kind of down into into smaller parts. So um, we need to ensure we're always delivering high quality products. Um, app pace is a really important part of kind of agile software development. So, um, you know, we work in fortnightly sprints and every two weeks we are looking to deliver new features to the platform. That ensures that we can, um, you know, we can kind of deploy, we can measure, and then we can adjust what it is we're doing. Um, and in a startup environment, that's really important to be able to do that. Um, so we deliver at pace, meeting business demands. There's loads of different stakeholders and in internal and external. And I think hopefully we'll, we'll get to touch on that in more detail uh, today during our conversation, but making sure that we meet the demands of those, those different stakeholders and most importantly, achieving profitable growth. So, um, looking at how can we, you know, decrease the cost of acquisition? How can we increase the lifetime value of customers? Um, and there's, there's loads of different ways that we can kind of move those levers to, to kind of drive the business forward. And I suppose that that really covers off my primary role within the business is to achieve all, uh, ensure that all those things are actually achieved on a day to day basis. Right. So you're sort of in charge of a part of helping the, the business scale. How big is the company now currently? Um, so as I mentioned, we've, we've got about 5,000 customers at the moment. Um, yeah, interviews in, in more than 150, 150 countries. How many employees? So part of our development resource is actually outsourced, but as far as full-time employees, I think we're at eight at the moment. Um, and then our dev, our dev resource is actually outsourced. So we work with an agency. We've got a full-time uh, kind of ring-fenced resource that works for us. But by working with an agency, it actually allows us loads of other benefits. You know, if we had a small development team, um, you've got a single point of failure. If one person who's pivotal in the team is actually uh, off unwell, unable to work, decides to leave, um, we've got loads of backup resource. It also means that we can kind of pull on resource like DevOps, etc., that we don't necessarily require full-time QA and everything. So there's a lot of knowledge sharing. It means that our, our kind of our team are constantly being driven forward by being part of a wider agency. But as I say, they're, they're ring-fenced resource uh, on our product. 
Right. I mean, yeah, for sure. It helps you, you know, scale and move faster with a lot fewer headaches as some different headaches. Right. But if, you know, manage the process, it can really work well. Yeah, that's really amazing because, uh, I mean, you guys are pretty big already to be as small as you are. So that's always good to be capital efficient, right? Especially early on. How, what has been your mindset and approach to scaling the business you know, with, without, you know, having to scale resources at the same level? So I think probably the most important thing to keep at the core of what we're doing is ensuring that we're building things that people want and that they're also willing to pay for. So, you know, touching on the stakeholder side of things, we've got loads of different internal and external stakeholders, clients, we've got candidates, investors, owners, employees, etc. And all these people come with different wants and needs, but we really need to make sure that what we're building with a limited development resource is actually going to achieve that profitable growth. So unless the features that we're delivering every two weeks deliver uh, you know, help us gain more customers or help us increase the value of those customers, then it's probably not the most important thing. Um, and we've, we've got a method of actually dealing with that. So we take all of our requests in, whether it's from candidates, clients, employees, etc., partners, suppliers, um, and we manage our backlog, but we've got a kind of quite a simple scoring system. And in that scoring system, we check, can it be communicated? Uh, so if it's a feature that we can effectively communicate, maybe helps with upsells or new clients, then obviously gets extra points. Um, will it affect many users? So if you've just got one big client that needs it, that client might move on in time. Or you know, if it's a real kind of niche use case, then uh, it's maybe not worth spending as much time on. But if it affects loads of users, then there's probably a lot of value in it. We check whether it will be used frequently as well. Is it the type of thing that someone's just going to use once and then forget about? Or is it going to be on an ongoing basis? Um, how big is the implementation effort? So actually looking at the cost benefit of it. Will it cost us a lot of money to implement? And then finally, does it contribute to the company vision? Um, and so we score all of those for every single feature request. And that, using a simple formula, just gives us a, an overall scoring. And we can then prioritize what we're actually doing based upon that. Okay. And how are you defining success at, at this stage currently from a product standpoint, but also, you know, a, a, a team growth standpoint? Um, so from a product perspective, uh, you know, we've got loads of different OKRs, so objectives and key results. So the objectives are obviously the, the larger picture things that we're looking to achieve. Um, and the key results are the, the smaller levers that we think we need to pull in order to influence those objectives. Um, some of the key metrics that we look at um, on a day-to-day -day basis are the number of interviews that are being completed. Uh, so we're seeing on average, or since I joined the business in the last six months, we're seeing on average 30% month-on-month growth in the number of interviews that's being completed. Um, and ultimately for us as a business, the more interviews that we have completed, obviously, the more business we'll be able to generate. So ensuring that that candidate uh, process is as slick as possible. And as I say, you know, that's the big objective, but there's loads of different levers that we can pull to ensure that we influence that in the right direction. Um, we also look at new business acquisition. So um, how many new clients are we actually being able to onboard? Uh, and on the flip side of that, obviously, we need to assess our client retention and our churn to make sure that we are actually retaining the clients that we've got in previous months as well. So those are those are probably three on, on a day-to-day -day basis, three of the core things that we actually measure. 
Okay. And have you guys sort of defined the types of people who are a good fit for Willow and, you know, kind of what was, how did you guys approach defining those criteria? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think kind of early days, uh, it was really important to actually take this product to market, a really simple prototype of the product and, and ensure that there was actually demand for it. Going back to what I said earlier, you know, building something that people want and they're willing to pay for. Um during that process, I think you and, and Woody as, as co-founder uh, definitely noticed some patterns and trends. Um, one of the biggest things to be aware of is, uh, you know, are clients going to be continually recruiting or are they just going to be recruiting for one or two roles and then, you know, uh, not requiring the product anymore? So rather than us just saying, well, we're not interested in those clients that are only going to be recruiting for one or two roles, um, what we've actually done is we've set up different plans that fit for different types of clients. So uh, are they going to be high volume, high usage, or will they potentially be lower volume, lower usage? And the beauty of SaaS is you can obviously then tailor your different plans and products to different needs. So when it comes to the kind of highest value clients, then yeah, definitely, uh, without a doubt. Probably staffing companies would be uh, our highest volume because when you look at that, you know, they, they're probably hiring for events. You know, I'm sure for the Super Bowl, for example, they had to require, they had to recruit for a huge amount of additional security or cleaning staff or, or whatever. And those are the type of high volume um, recruitment drives that Willow can be incredibly valuable for, you know, from a, a time-saving perspective and from a kind of a, a reach perspective, then using something like Willow will make some a process like that so much simpler. Um, so, yeah, from a client perspective, I think that's definitely the highest value clients that we have, but we ensure that we've got product plans for every different type of client to ensure that we can kind of reach as many clients as possible. Sure. One more kind of more product related question. I'm just kind of curious, like, are, are you all, cause I, I could see like a, a bit of a dystopian future for something like this where you know, a company like Willow, not that you guys are doing this, but you know, where you, you know, you try to use AI to, you know, let the AI decide who gets past like the, the screening. And I could, you know, there, there's certainly some advantages to that that I can see, you know, for sure eliminating, you know, bias and having, you know, something that's, you know, seemingly more objective. I can also see that there being a, you know, huge backlash to something like that. Is, is that something low? is currently doing or something you guys have looked at and felt like it's not the right time yet or so we're definitely we're definitely looking at it and assessing it but our intention would never be to remove the the kind of human interaction from it i think um you've hit the nail on the head there could be a lot of negative implications of trying to kind of completely automate this uh, what we could do is we can, and, and something that we are looking into is how could we perhaps uh, transcribe interviews? Uh, and by transcribing interviews, perhaps we could look at providing ratings for for different candidates and responses. But we would need to be very careful with that, as you've kind of hinted towards, because these technologies can only go so far at the moment. You'll see all the time when you get funny results from Siri trying to predict something that you want to do. And you know, you, you can see how they've got there, but it's, they've completely missed the mark. Um, so, you know, we, we would want to try and aid the recruiter um, and enhance the experience. But 
I certainly don't think these technologies are at a point where you would actually be able to facilitate fully automating that. And it's certainly not our intention at the moment. Yeah. So for, you know, I mentioned to you, a lot of our audience out there are people that are, you know, either founders, you know, people looking to start their own company, or uh, a lot of people that are just interested in joining a startup. So for people that, uh, like yourself, that are looking at joining a startup at a, in a critical role at a, at a relatively early stage, how would, you know, what advice can you give people to, on how to evaluate an opportunity? Uh, in your instance, you, you already had a previous history with uh, a founder. In, you know, most people's you know, cases, that's not necessarily going to be true. So any advice you can share on how to evaluate an opportunity, like uh, red flags to, to look out for, green flags to look out for? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a really good question, and I suppose um, I suppose quite a tricky one to to answer. Um, you'd probably have a lot of investors listening if I knew the uh, the golden rule to that as well. Um, there, you know, there are a few things that that I would certainly recommend. I think the most important thing is if you're joining a business at an early stage. Um, or you're looking to found something, you really need to believe in what it is the the business or the organization is looking to achieve. Um, if you don't believe in it, then uh, it's it's not really going to go far. I know that sounds like a bit of a cliche, but I do think it's really important that you believe you truly believe that it can be a success. Um, I think then to kind of take it from believing it can be a success to knowing it can be a success, I would start to look for. Um, you know, some market proof. So can you actually prove that there is a market for this product? As I said earlier, and you know, I'm I don't know if you've read it, but the Lean Startup is a very good book. Um and and I, you know, I refer back to it quite often because there are so many important principles within that book. And one of the things uh, that he says in the book is is ensuring that you're building a product that people want and people will pay for. And if at an early stage the startup can can prove that people will pay for the product, um, then I suppose you can build a sustainable and scalable business model. Um, so, yeah, I would make sure it's something that you believe in. I would hope that it can be proved or if not, try and establish how are you going to prove that it's going to be a success. Um, and other than that, Brian, I think part of it, you've, you've kind of got to go with your gut feeling. There are loads of different metrics. As I say, you know, investors look at all these different metrics of, um, you know, the rule of 40 and, and uh, you know, cost of acquisition to lifetime value ratios and, and all of these things. But even when they invest in it with science, a lot of them actually fail anyway. So uh, I think some of it will just will just come down to your gut feeling. Right. And uh, how are you guys the deploying Willow in your own uh, recruiting process? Like what, how do you guys have things set up? Yes, we use Willow. Um, so a couple of, well, we, we obviously use uh, a couple of the team members who joined us, who I mentioned are based down in, uh, in Manchester. Um, and they're actually from England. But when they were going through the recruitment process, one of them was in Australia and the other was in Indonesia. So I think that just proves uh, you know, case in point that uh, by adopting a, a process like that, then you really can get worldwide reach, and you can ensure that you're getting the right people for the for the job that you're looking to fill. So, so we we fully utilize it for all of our recruitment. Do you guys uh, see in your data that companies are recruiting outside of where they're located more frequently? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we see loads of um, loads of proof of that without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, it, it almost seems 
that today, if you're, you're starting a, a business or trying to grow a business, you have to tap the international market, you know, because there just aren't enough, especially engineering, but not only engineering, but, you know, resources to, you know, move as, as fast as most businesses, you know, want to um, be able to, to move. How do you, I assume you guys are, you, you guys help your clients track like what percentage of people move on and ultimately get uh, hired. What does that kind of funnel look like at like a, you know, 10,000 foot level? Yeah. So, uh, that, that, I suppose the, the response rates can range anywhere from 50 to a hundred percent response. Um, and that can vary based on so many different factors. It can be the type of role. Um, so, you know, if you're recruiting at an executive level, uh, you would definitely expect a higher response rate. Whereas, um, you know, if you were recruiting for maybe short term roles or higher volume roles, then you might see a lower response rate. But you can also influence a lot of things uh, about your response rate uh, yourself. So we find that um, recruiters who actually record a video introduction of themselves before the interview begins uh, see a, a massively increased conversion because I suppose at that point they're giving the impression that they're willing to actually put themselves forward on a one-way interview and, and it, it puts the candidates at ease. Then um, from you know the next stage of the funnel is actually looking at how many of those candidates make it to interview and we integrate with a lot of different applicant tracking systems. Um, some large ones, some smaller kind of uh, boutique ones, but we really, you know, as I said earlier, we base that upon demand. So if we've got clients who are actually using a system, we're more than happy to integrate with it because ultimately the simpler we can make the recruitment process for them, uh, then the more success we're going to see with the product. But by being integrated with an applicant tracking system, then what we can actually do is we can see more information coming back about the further stages of the interviewing process. So we can see those candidates that then make it to, for example, a next stage or a technical assessment or whatever that might be. And what we actually do is we then provide reports back to our clients on a monthly basis to tell them how much time we think they've saved on average, um, how much value worth of of um, of roles they've actually filled, uh, and that helps our clients to actually kind of assess a bit of a return on investment, I suppose, from from using the product. Okay. And what are some of the the things that you've implemented internally to to, to sort of build up uh, good habits around you know interviewing and hiring and onboarding and scaling your your teams? Yeah, so that's a good one. So we we actually have a kind of knowledge center and a knowledge base that we um, we use a system called Help Scout for all of our support. Uh, and on that, it's become a bit of a kind of wiki that our uh, our clients and our candidates can actually use. So we include loads of best practice on there. Uh, we include loads of troubleshooting. Um, techniques as well so if candidates are having trouble with different types of devices or anything then we can actually deliver prompts through the live chat to say you know here's a suggested um article on how to grant access to your microphone and your camera or something but from a best practice perspective yeah we've we've built a kind of a knowledge base and a bit of a, a kind of tutoring system to actually um you know present back to our clients to show them what we see delivering the best results and that's things like as i mentioned you know um 
it can be really simple, like videoing your own introduction. It can be making it clear to the candidate what are the next steps going to be. How long should they wait until they expect to hear? Um, all these kinds of things have, have a really important influence on the completion rate. So we invest quite a lot of time in ensuring that that kind of knowledge base and that wiki uh, is as strong and up to date as possible. And as we release new features, then we need to ensure that we're keeping that up to date as well. Um, so that can become quite a big maintenance job, but it's definitely worth it, Brian. And I think certainly for a small business, it takes away a lot of the requirement to continuously kind of serve your clients and when you're working internationally and you've got clients all over the world then time zones and everything can become a challenge but we only we see less than 0.8 percent of our candidates actually getting in touch uh, requiring support and that's the number that we try and keep as low as possible because as i say that shows that the candidates aren't having problems getting through the interviews right now for founders out there you know historically uh, you know, a founder serves as a head of product until some point, you know, where he or she feels the need to bring in someone specifically for that role. As someone who's doing that job now, for the founders out there who are curious whether they are at the stage now where they, they might need to bring in a, a separate head of product, how can they know that? What are, what are some of the warning signs? And uh, how should they, you know, founders go about interviewing and looking for the, the, the type of qualities that are going to, you know, make that person successful? Question. So um, warning signs, I think, uh, for example, with Ewan, um, one of the big things that they were in the process of doing was looking for funding for the business. So um, Willow's received uh, just over a million pounds GBP uh, worth of funding to date now. Um, and that kind of thing was consuming a lot of his time. Uh, and so as a result, he wasn't able to focus on the product. And it's not surprising that for a SaaS business, it's incredibly important that the product continues to evolve, continues to improve. Uh, and so from that perspective, I think that was quite clear to him that he had to, to get someone in to kind of take this forward. Um, I think another thing is... Uh, from an execution perspective, um, as you mentioned, a lot of founders do take that on as their primary responsibility uh, at the outset. But as the business starts to scale, if that's not your primary expertise as far as software development, scalability, and all of that's concerned, when you start to see you know north of 300 video interviews being processed every single day, then that can put a lot of pressure on your infrastructure and things can start to crumble a wee bit. So that would definitely be another warning sign is, are you comfortable that the product, you know, if you take an MVP to market, which is the best way to, to prove that the business idea is actually going to work, then how long do you think that that MVP can actually survive? How long can it continue to service your clients? So yeah, from a scalability perspective, that would be a really important one. Um, and I would, I would encourage people who are considering it to make sure that they actually take that step before it becomes an issue. Because when it becomes an issue, then that can become a lot more difficult to manage, even for someone who, uh, who does that as their day-to-day -day job. Um, the second part of your question was around interviewing. Um, I think at, at an early stage of business it's, it's really important that you can get on with that person um so making sure that you you can actually establish a rapport with that person because you're going to be spending a lot of long days and nights uh communicating with that person 
tensions will probably get quite high as well um, because, you know, things can happen very quickly. And if you've only got a small number of clients, then it's really important that you can keep them happy. So I think making sure that you can get on with them, also that you can really depend on that person. So is that person willing to actually, if things go wrong over the weekend, step up and, and make sure that, that that happens? Because what you want to do is you want to ensure some continuity from you as a founder of the business who will probably do anything that's required to make sure it's a success. You need to ensure that that passes across to the person who's taking over the baton. Um, so I think that's really important. And you know, nowadays in in startup businesses, I think a lot of people who join these businesses recognize that there's a bit of give and take. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be I worked X number of hours this month, so I want Y and overtime or anything. It's more relaxed than that these days. And there's a bit of give and take. So people recognize that if you, you know, you worked your backside off over the weekend, then, you know, you might have a bit of a break at the beginning of the week. So um, I think people that are really willing to work in that fashion is, is the most important thing. And then you can start to drill into their kind of experience of whatever it is you want to achieve. So do you want to scale the product and keep the cost low? Do you want to um, do you want to really scale the team? Have you got a lot of investment? And you actually just want to build a really big team, build a really big product and then see the, the, the revenues come after. And I think once you know what you're looking to really achieve, then you probably want someone who's got a demonstrated experience of doing that. I think one of the things that I've become very aware of being involved in early stage startups is that um, although it can be attractive to bring on uh, graduates and, and you know um, people at a very early stage in their career, uh, from a cost perspective, um, upfront it might be attractive but actually you need to be prepared and able to invest a lot of time in that person to uh, to kind of get them up to speed and quite often in a startup environment you just don't have the time to do that so it's probably important to make sure that you're getting someone who has a demonstrated experience of actually doing similar things that, that you want to achieve yeah that's definitely a challenge and more and more work has kind of moved to being asynchronous where, you know, people don't have the same type of defined set schedules. And of course, that's sort of exasperated when you've got people working across uh, multiple time zones. So you almost have to have people who are sort of willing to, you know, work a little bit here and there. Otherwise, things kind of can grind to a standstill still. So for, you know, listeners out there who, you know, like what they're hearing about the company, you know, what, you know, are your high priority you know, positions that you guys are, are hiring for? you know, for the next three to six months? And, you know, what's your pitch on, you know, getting people to, to join Willow? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question. At the moment, um, I think that we've actually, we've got a pretty solid team, Brian. We, um, we are at a critical point in the business where we're actually trying to scale and establish whether a, a further round of funding would be required and or desirable. Um, so, if we look to achieve some additional funding, then um, you know there, there would definitely be scope to to increase the team quite rapidly. Or the other thing, the other kind of option uh, would be we're very close to to reaching a break even point, uh, which is a nice place to be in a startup business. And then we need to establish is that the type of thing that we think we can scale uh, based on on the existing funds that we've got or not. So. At the moment, uh, I probably wouldn't be trying to pitch anyone to, to join the business, but I suppose there's always space for the right people um, within the business. So uh, 
yeah, I wouldn't be sure how to answer that question right now. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's good to know. Well, Hamish, it was great having you here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Any uh, last words? No, no, it's been excellent. So thank you so much for your time. And hopefully it's been of some use. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been really enjoyable to speak to you, Brian. Yeah, and for you, you listeners, if you want to check out Willow, that is uh, video. So not Willow like the old movie, but uh, just the just the uh, so. Hamish, great to have you. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation and wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much, Brian. All right, cheers. Bye-bye.